there are many bad recipe websites. Every time I navigate to a recipe website, it feels like my browser is filling up with spyware. The page loads slowly, everything seems broken, I can feel the 25 different JavaScript ad tech tags interrupting each other. Whether I'm searching for a banana bread or a spaghetti sauce recipe, recipe sites usually make me lose my appetite. Anycart is a recipe platform that allows users to buy all the ingredients for a recipe and have those ingredients delivered. It is a vertically integrated content site and delivery system. It's also beautifully designed and extremely performant. I learned about it from Zach Bloom, who works at Cloudflare, as he mentioned it as a case study in performance. Rafael Sanchez is a founder of Anycart, and he joins the show today to talk about building a recipe delivery service and the innovations and performance that were necessary to build it. And if you have an idea for an episode, whether it's about a company or a project you're working on, you can go to softwaredaily.com and submit a topic. We are always looking for good ideas. And you can also support the show by becoming a subscriber, and you will get ad-free episodes. You can do all that at softwaredaily.com. And thanks for listening. You have a DevOps story to tell, and GitLab would like to hear it, virtually. The 2020 GitLab Commit User Conference will be held as a virtual event on Wednesday, August 26th, and the Call for Proposals, or CFP, window is open through June 1st. Whatever your DevOps story is, you can submit it to this CFP. Maybe you've managed a culture change or discovered the ultimate DevOps hack, or cut your release time in half. Whatever your story is, you can share it at commit. Go to softwareengineeringdaily.com slash commit CFP, or you can register for the event at softwareengineeringdaily.com slash GitLab commit. So if you've got a great DevOps story, go to softwareengineeringdaily.com slash commit CFP. And if you are interested in attending the virtual GitLab commit user conference, go to softwareengineeringdaily.com slash GitLab commit. Thanks to GitLab for being a sponsor of Software Engineering Daily. Rafael Sanchez, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. One thing I'm pleased about with your website, Anycart, is that it is a recipe website that is not terrible. There are <laughs> so many bad recipe websites, and I'm definitely experiencing this in the pandemic when I'm looking up a recipe for banana bread and I'm trying to open it and then it's like sending me to like a different website and then, you know, 50 pop-ups and all kinds of problems. Why are there so many bad recipe websites? I think the problem is the monetization, right? People need to make money and ads is the only way for publishers today. So actually that's the biggest reason why we started Anycart was to allow our customers or our users to buy the recipes that they're looking for on the site. So imagine like it's part of the user experience to, as a, a user, right? Like you want to cook the recipe. So why not allow you to buy them in, in the most seamless way as possible? So that's how we started the company. You've done multiple recipe-based businesses. Why do you like cooking software so much? <laughs> I think I'm, as a software software engineer, I just really want to be 
part of a daily life of millions of people. And I think cooking is one of those use cases, like one of the top queries on Google is definitely cooking and recipes. So I was just like, well, I could open a company that does anything in 2010, like uh, when apps were a big thing and everybody was like, could do an app and, and become a, a real company. Then I just listed everything that uh, I, I could do. And I think the recipes and cooking was one of the biggest use cases that I could have a big impact on. So I, I just focused all my effort and then I recruited my wife and her brother and then we started the company. <laughs> That's the story. <laughs> so Anycart is a platform where users can order all of the ingredients in a recipe. Explain how it works. Yeah, so as an engineer, like you, you can already see that's not the most, the easiest of the problems to solve because we need to know everything about the recipe. We need to know like, you know, users, because we also price any recipe site we also have a Chrome extension and a marketplace for publishers. So if you have a recipe site, we allow you to make your sh content shoppable with our mar marketplace. So imagine like you could write anything. You write like beans in a way that's different than the other person. And we need to match that, what you typed in the ingredient section with exactly all the products that are available uh, right now in real time on Whole Foods close to your house. But not only Whole Foods that carry 30,000 items, but also Safeway, Walmart, and all the any grocery retailer, right? So our recipes need to be created uh, not only for a grocery store, but all, any grocery store. I think that's the that was the challenge there in the engineering part, yeah. So the recipes, are they who are they contributed by? Is it random people or is it professionals? Yeah, so when we started the company, we were like, oh, you know, like, this should be, we should price the entire internet. I think the entire internet should be shoppable. That was our mentality. We wanted to do something big. We wanted to help users to just buy whatever they see on Google. And then we created a Chrome extension that would just price entire Google. We overwrote the Google uh, UI with uh, our extension. And then we just priced every result on Google. And you could just one-click shop Google directly, right? And then when you clicked in the, the sites on the internet, you would, uh, we, our extension would pop up and uh, price the, the recipe in the, any site on the web. And then we've, we've done this, like it's insane, like the technical challenge is, is uh, very difficult. But then we realized the user experience was not there because a lasagna from the internet cost, it would cost like $80, right? Which is ridiculous, like it would be way cheaper to just buy a lasagna from a restaurant. So the reason for this is that content on the internet is built for ad monetization. So it needs to look good in a photo, but the recipe itself is not made for shopping, right? So let's say if it's beautiful on the photo to have capers on top of the lasagna, then people put capers on the ingredient list. But this would like just a caper, if you have to buy on Whole Foods, it would cost you $15 or $8, right? So quickly we discovered that content on the internet is made for ad monetization, not for cooking, like uh, for home cooking, right? So then we, we decided to have complete control over the everything. So we have end-to-end -end user experience where you arrive to our site, you find something to cook. We guarantee inventory delivery on your zip code. 
And then we provide you step-by-step cooking instructions with videos. That everything we have complete control. So that's our final solution because I said, look, we're actually going to build content from, from bottom up for uh, making the content cheap, right? So if the content is built using groceries from the beginning, then you know you can't put capers just because you need like to make a beautiful photo. Or, and, and then we, we make recipes that's very reliable and use the full-size uh, products from the grocery store, right? I think that's the story there. And uh, that was a, a massive like change in our business because we had a, an app that would allow users to create videos step-by-step, user-generated. And we got very lucky, right? Because of that app, like, it was very fast for us to create these videos in-house. So that's uh, our final solution there. So the experience for, for those who don't know is you go to the AnyCard website and all of these videos load and it's videos of people cooking stuff and you can click into one, you can see the full recipe, you can get all the ingredients for it, you can easily add those ingredients to a shopping cart and then you can order them. And it's kind of amazing because it works on a bunch of different zip codes how are the groceries fulfilled? So when I go on when I go on any cart and I go to you know fettuccine alfredo, I add all the fettuccine alfredo ingredients to my cart. How is that going to get fulfilled? So yeah, the way we we work right now is that we have a relationship with the with the partners that we have listed there. Now we have nine retailers. So in 2020, many many retailers, the bigger ones like Walmart, Amazon, Safeway, Albertsons. They have their own fulfillment and delivery systems. When we started the company, the biggest problem that they had was, it was not like today, this is not a problem of today, but when we started the company, August last year, their biggest problem was that only 3% of America was shopping online. So they had a demand issue. And then we, we just said, you know what, like we're going to solve this demand issue by connecting every recipe site in the world, generating an app user experience that's like a Uber Eats for cooking. So anycard.com today, if you land there, it, it, we model the entire user experience like on Uber Eats. On, because why can you go to Uber Eats and, and with a few clicks, you have your a meal in your house in less than one hour? And you can't do that when you want to cook carbonara or, or a lasagna or anything else, right? So I think it was quite obvious for our team that uh, the world needed a user experience like that for groceries. And then we carved out a place on the on that category for us. But like fast forward today, like that's demand is not their biggest problems. They have like too much demand because of COVID. We are trying a lot of other things to to help. For example, one thing that we do is on Amazon or, or Safeway or any other site today, like you can't get a time slot. We're helping our customers by like, you know, place our order whenever a time slot comes available, we, we place it for you. Things like that that we implemented like in a day that helps us our customer to have a better user experience. Also, another thing that we do for COVID is, um, you know, just all these customers that they never bought anything online, like a uh, grocery especially, right? So uh, they have a lot of questions, like they really need a really robust uh, customer service and a streamlined like user experience. So we're working very like uh, over the clock, like to, to just like streamline our, our product as much as possible. Um, so yeah, it's, very, it's pretty challenging times to launch a product, but, uh, but it's interesting. So you're saying the fulfillment system, first of all, it's, it's completely integrated with the uh, grocery suppliers. I mean, that's a pretty interesting timing, like that 
you can integrate directly with Safeway and HEB and these different places that have pretty good technology at this point. I mean, it was probably, you know, what, four or five, six years ago when they first started really investing in the digital transformation for the grocery store. And now that has reached fruition and you can actually build a platform on top of a grocery store, which is pretty cool. But it sounds like you're hitting fulfillment bottlenecks just because there's so much demand from grocery stores now. Yes, I think that that's kind of where where we were. And then right now, I think, you know, we don't have a demand problem. I think our our products is like users love it, like our KPIs are through the roof. But at the same time, I know like it's not the best user experience because like you order, uh, I don't know, bananas and you receive, I don't know, a cake or something else. It's just like the substitution software that they run is not the best. So it's probably like very outdated. So we're thinking about developing all these tools for, for retailers to just help them out. Just, just say like, look, this is for free. Just take it. Because if you are doing a better job at uh, substitutions, out of stocks, all those things, then uh, our product will work. Otherwise, if you go to anycard.com today and you order chicken and something or the chicken doesn't arrive because of out of stock, you can't make a full meal, right? So the user experience will be pretty broken. And we're really like trying, you know, as software engineers, just trying to like solve all these problems one by one. And I think definitely the fulfillment is a big problem. And um, we can actually, we can have a massive impact. Like if we just dedicate a few weeks or months to solve these problems for the retailers, we can actually help them out quite a lot because we trade so fast on the, right now it's pretty interesting. If you listen to this show, you are probably a software engineer or a data scientist. If you want to develop skills to build machine learning models, check out Springboard. Springboard is an online education program that gives you hands-on experience with creating and deploying machine learning models into production. And every student who goes through Springboard is paired with a mentor, a machine learning expert who gives that student one-on-one mentorship support over video. The Springboard program offers a job guarantee in its career tracks, meaning that you do not have to pay until you secure a job in machine learning. If you're curious about transitioning into machine learning, go to softwareengineeringdaily.com slash springboard. Listeners can get $500 in scholarship if they use the code AI Springboard. This scholarship is for 20 students who enroll by going to softwareengineeringdaily.com slash springboard and enter the code AI Springboard. It takes about 10 minutes to apply, it's free, and it's awarded on a first-come, first-served basis. So if you're interested in transitioning into machine learning, go to softwareengineeringdaily.com slash springboard. Anyone who is interested and likes the idea of building and deploying machine learning models, deep learning models, you might like Springboard. Go to softwareengineeringdaily.com slash springboard and thank you to Springboard for being a sponsor. So now that we've given an overview of what AnyCart does, we can talk a little bit through some of the architectural issues in the, the software. So again, when I land on AnyCart, there are a bunch of videos that load quickly and there are these quick little snippets of recipe videos I scroll the page. It's a really fast loading set of content. 
uh, everything feels really snappy. Can you give me an overview of what happens when I land on the AnyCart page? So I think I can start from the beginning, like when uh, we started the company. Okay, so when you land on, on AnyCart, uh, what happens is that uh, we redirect you to the closest service as possible to your house. We have uh, 24 locations in the world today, like it's a global service. So we, we built global first. We don't believe like today, like when we started the company, we didn't believe in like building anything for just the US, proving in the US and then going global. I don't think that's a, that should be the norm. If you build any app, it should be global first. That was our belief, we, we defend it. And I think it, it will pay off for us quite a lot. So anyway, because it's global first, it's also US, like we have multiple locations in the US, the user experience is very snappy. So right now I think you're in San Francisco, I would imagine. So you're in San Francisco, you hit uh, Oregon servers, I think. And then uh, we have a web server there. And I think in Oregon we have also a database server very close by. So not only have uh, web servers that are, are in 24 locations, but we also have uh, database servers there in at least five locations across the world. So we built these web apps, just like uh, you would build an Android app or, or like an iPhone app. It's just an isomorphic architecture using Node.js. I think the mentality there was like, well, what if 100% of our web code was written in JavaScript? Then we could run that on the server with Node and also on the client. So we shared the code between both. And then to Google, we spit out uh, HTML. So it's like render really quickly on the browser as well. And the, the user, like the first render on our pages is like in uh, 300 milliseconds, you already get meaningful paints. Right, so we were able to do this kind of things, like thinking through the user experience, right? And then I think that the biggest, when we started the company, actually we, we've done like a, it's like a user-generated publisher app. So the idea was like, well, if we grow, we're gonna be on Google, right? And Google is gonna be throwing us a lot of traffic. Well, like, how do we make this company work without having to think about Google. How do we make the company work in a way that uh, it's Google's job to send us the traffic? If they don't send us the traffic, they have a problem on their algorithm because our user experience is so superior than the other competitors that like, if they don't send us the traffic, they, they're, they're doing a bad job at search, right? That, that was kind of our mentality. So we really thought through like, okay, so if you're in Indonesia or if you're in, in Italy or if you're in uh, anywhere in the world, in Brazil or you know, like if our site's so much faster than our competitors, like if Google doesn't, and the content's so much better, right? So like step-by-step -step cooking videos is so much better than content that's just like a photo and a, and a bunch of text, right? So we, we've done like not only the step-by-step -step videos, but also like, well, when you click from Google to our site, it takes like 300 milliseconds to start seeing it, right? So if you click in any other site from the list, it's like 10 seconds, five seconds or something more, right? So our idea is like, latency was really important. So we really thought through like, okay, so if we put all these node servers everywhere else, but the database is not close by, then you still have 300 milliseconds of speed of light for the web node server to hit our database, right? So every API will still be like 300 milliseconds. So we are like, okay, so let's put not only node servers, but also having like the database close to the users. So then we created a geolocalized database as well. So we also replicate the database in uh, all the geolocations. Because we've done that, it's, it's pretty ridiculous because think about it, like an Android app, if you have a geo 
a cluster data database like this that's fighting against speed of light, all the inserts in the database are super slow, right? So you have to batch everything. Because you have to batch everything, like the, the response to the user is never fast, like for writing the database. So then the same kind of code that we have to do, we had to do on the server side, we had to do also on the client side, right? To, to, like when you write a comment on any character or, on, or app, we just fake it for you. And then later it, we write in the database, we, you know, like you do, the user, like it looks immediate for the user, but it's actually we're batching everything also on the client. So this is kind of the trade-offs that we discovered, like when writing apps that work in um, multiple locations. So if the database is from day one, if you develop your software like clustering the database, then everything else like would follow, I think. I think that's kind of the, what we learned using this architecture. And I think it matches really, really well with apps, mo modern apps. So let, let's say our app that we have, uh, that users can like record all those videos that you see on our page, 100% of them were created using our native app. So we have an iPhone and Android app that allows you to record those videos, exactly like those videos. So that the, all of those were recorded using your app. So yeah, so imagine uploading all these videos through the internet where it's really slow. So if it wasn't batched, if it wasn't like in a, a sync writing of the database, you know, you'd lose data or like there'll be a transaction fa failure. So we had to do like a bunch of retries, we had to do queues, we have to do all these things in the clients as well. So it's kind of the same code. And I think slow writes and like geolocalized database, databases really match with the architecture, the new architectures for modern uh, native apps as well. So even on, on the app side, you really want to like batch things, the writes, uh, zero latency for the user means like the data is already there or at right time, you have to fake it a, a little bit, I think, or having a queue or the user might not have connection, right? So even if the user connection is fast, like he's trying to write something, he might not have connection at that point. So it's the same problem, right? So I think we got very lucky there in that sense, in the sense that, let me see how to rephrase it, in the sense that because our, our database is so slow to write, we had to redesign even the apps, like from day one, right? So like if you write all your code from day one is written in a way to accommodate slow writes, then everything else falls in place. Like even the in the native app side or or on the does that make sense at all? <laughs> it does. It does. Yeah. And I'd like to know a little bit more about the caching infrastructure or the CDN infrastructure because you're talking about geos, and I'm wondering if you're talking about geos where you have all of your server infrastructure if you're talking about cdn geos oh no so yeah exactly so we have cdns and cloudflare and all these things but we actually have a master master flat architecture so all our servers they have the same configuration and all of them uh, have the database and other things in different countries and in different locations so actually like to write in our database Either it writes in all our, our servers or it does it, or, or the, the write fails. And then you have to retry. Does that make sense? It does. So the advantage of that performance-wise is, is what exactly? So reads are really like, uh, so the, if you're in Brazil, our time to respond to your request is going to be 30 milliseconds, right? But if you're in the US, the 30 milliseconds as well for reads. Anywhere in the world is going to be 30 milliseconds maximum. So, but uh, writes are going to be like 500 milliseconds or something like that because we added uh, Sydney as a, a cluster place. 
Does that make sense? So writes are really slow and they lock and it's a disaster. It's really difficult to manage writes in a geo manner. But, but then like reads are super fast. Like we, basically we don't need caching, right? Because we know all our, our, our reads are going to be local. So I think that that's the, the trade-off there. What I don't understand is why any of this matters so much. Like I think about Anycart, like I log on Anycart, I'm hitting some geo that's closest to me and I'm only going to be writing to the database at that geo. That's all that really matters to me. I'm just ordering groceries from a place nearby. Why do you need this instantly replicated multi-geo thing? Let's say we become like a huge company, right? That we are like also in Brazil or like anywhere else in Asia. And then like people start like, Imagine the best user experience in the world is like uh, you search for a lasagna on Google and that lasagna is shoppable. You can click and can buy with your like local Safish store. It arrives to your house in less than one, one hour. Like in that scenario, like you really don't want the latency. Even in the US, like if you have to connect like in Oregon opposed to New York and you have that like 70 milliseconds extra latency, to me it's pretty annoying. Like, you know, like if, for example, most people in the US, they host their servers in like East Coast and like, like the user experience in uh, West Coast is like exponentially slower for a user, at least like I, I really, <laughs> it's uh, yeah, I see what it's saying. Like maybe it doesn't matter for that much, but I think users notice it, you know, that snappiness, at least in, at read times. I think it really, really matters. Like because in, in my mind, like every 10 milliseconds, like the user experience is the double. So like, let's say if you have a server that's replying five, 50 milliseconds compared to a server that replies in 10 milliseconds, it's way faster, like 10 milliseconds than 50, in my opinion, like as a like compounding thing, I think. I might be crazy. But. I, I, no, but I'm still, I'm still so confused. Like if you're talking about writes, so and maybe you could just clarify what writes are happening to the AnyCart database. Because when I think about the writes that are happening to an AnyCart database, it's like, People are creating new recipes. You're like yeah. <laughs> adding new ingredients to the database. Like, why is this? And, and then the rights that actually matter are just yeah. people ordering groceries from a geo close to them. So yes. what? Actually, like if you think about like what's happening when you're uh, browsing the UI, like as the user browses, the inventory of the store, which has 30,000 different items, are constantly changing as the user browses, right? So let's say you, you search for bananas and then uh, we're not going to be checking like Amazon inventory every every like 10 seconds. Rather, we check the inventory when users are browsing. So then as you browse, like you see, oh, this banana just became out of stock. And then we updated it. So there's a million updates like happening, but we batch them like crazy. Also, we track like every page view, every click that you do, it's saved in our database. We cluster them, we, we normalize them. Like we were doing like a million writes. I think the point is that we could write them synchronously if we had a database that was, that's really fast and is like saved in a, my local data center. But because the database is so slow, uh, we have to batch everything that we do. And then like every five minutes do this write. And I think this kind of architecture is very different, right? Because as soon as you, if you have a, a fast database to write, I think that you're so busy like trying to, to push new features through that you're just gonna write them like super fast, right? You're just gonna like, from, like start like creating a lot of writes on the database rather than batching them, for example, because that's kind of the everybody do. So I think that, uh, the point that I was trying to make is that uh, because this was a constraint that we had, like from day one, I think we got very lucky 
yes, the site looks snappy. There's a lot of uh, front-end uh, work to do that, to make that work. But there's also a lot of back-end work that needed to be done by the engineers, you know, to make this happen, right? I think that's kind of the idea. I think raw performance, like, right, like, so... Number one, like we don't, I hate like uh, cloud services like uh, AWS or like Google Cloud. Like I think they're super overpriced and I just hate them. But uh, <laughs> very opinionated. <laughs> well, I think this is why Zach Bloom introduced us. Uh, so, so Zach Bloom from Cloudflare, who's been on the show a couple times, I was like, hey, have you, you know, have you talked to anybody recently who I should talk to? And he's like, oh, you should definitely talk to this guy, Anycart, Raphael. He's running a bunch of bare metal servers, <laughs> and so I, I don't know. But Cloudflare is a cloud service. So, I mean, t- tell me what what are you talking? Are you like renting colo space, or are you like racking and stacking from your apartment building? What's going on? Yeah, so it's the the box there. So <laughs> it's a no. I mean, for some some things like a GPU, go to eBay. This is ridiculous. Like, go to eBay, search for uh, GPU Tesla. You can get a, like a Tesla GPU for 500 bucks on eBay today, like used, right? Because of the mining industry just blew up. Everybody's like, you know, like it's ridiculous. Like, so just think about this. Like I can mount a, a server, a GPU server of a Tesla K80 for a thousand dollars, right? I can buy one on eBay today and mount the server. Like because the, the GPU is 500 and I can get like a motherboard of CPU for 390 on eBay. So I can have a rack like with uh, 10 Tesla GPUs for like uh, $10,000, right? Why would you pay Amazon like $2,000 for that machine like a month, right? So for one machine, right? Like there's no sense, like there's no, um, there's no way I'm going to do that. So, and I think, I mean, we have funding, we could spend the money, but like there's no way I'm going to pay the money for, I think. You know, if we're a software company that um, our whole business uh, runs on like knowing that um, it's a low margin business, it's it's going to be uh, all about the pennies. Even like if it was an ad based business or if it was, um, you know, the grocery business, definitely a pennies business, like it's all about the margins. I think I really love performance as well. So bare metals, like I have the entire machine for me, like the, the you know, the, the entire thing is like just for me, we have like NVMe disks that are running like a three terabytes per second you know like it's so it's so much faster like there's no like nobody's going to convince me that the cloud's better and the reason for that's the we run a flat architecture right we just like boot up a new machine and it downloads the configuration the database the, the files that it needs to download and then as soon as it finished downloading it puts itself in the cluster and then it runs right I think the point is like to create this architecture, even if I used AWS or Google Cloud or Microsoft Azure, like I would have to do all that work by myself, like, you know, like anyway. So like they're not helping me just distributing my workload anyway. So I think the question is like, why wouldn't you pay the, the cheapest provider per raw performance, right? If that's the case, I think that's the question. Well, you're not mentioning the operational expense. I mean, it's just me, like, it's one guy, like, it's literally, like, I've done this all by myself, like, there's nobody, like, actually, nobody for this, uh, buying the servers and setting up the machines, I'm the only one, till now, I'm CEO of the company, I'm today, like, I'm the only one doing this, like, setting up the machines and, like, creating a new machine, putting it, I mean, the machines are so powerful that, like, we, we rarely t- have to, to add a new machine anyway, like, if, 
Like one example, we, we pay $180 to have a machine in Hillsboro in Oregon. Uh, this machine has 256 gigs of RAM. It has uh, two terabytes of NVMe disk, and it has, I think, 24 CPUs that are multi-thread, right? So we have 48, like, virtual cores, whatever. So $186 for that machine, right? So, like, I don't know of any service that would need, like, more than one of these machines, like, uh, <laughs> to, like if you cache everything on, the, on, like, if it's a Java server or, like, a Node.js server, like, you really need to, like, have a lot of traffic to need more than one of these. So anyway, we have like five of these or 10 of these. I think now we have like a lot of these, but like we don't have a lot of servers because of uh, traffic. We have it for like replication and like stability of the servers and things like that, right? Because just adding one more of this machine is so much more, like uh, it's so much processing that you really don't have any maintenance, I think. That's kind of my, my take on this one. When I'm building a new product, G2i is the company that I call on to help me find a developer who can build the first version of my product. G2i is a hiring platform run by engineers that matches you with React, React Native, GraphQL, and mobile engineers who you can trust. Whether you are a new company building your first product, like me, or an established company that wants additional engineering help, G2i has the talent that you need to accomplish your goals. Go to softwareengineeringdaily.com slash G2i to learn more about what G2i has to offer. We've also done several shows with the people who run G2i, Gabe Greenberg and the rest of his team. These are engineers who know about the React ecosystem, about the mobile ecosystem, about GraphQL, React Native... They know their stuff, and they run a great organization. In my personal experience, G2i has linked me up with experienced engineers that can fit my budget, and the G2i staff are friendly and easy to work with. They know how product development works. They can help you find the perfect engineer for your stack, and you can go to softwareengineeringdaily.com G2i to learn more about G2i. Thank you to G2i for being a great supporter of Software Engineering Daily, both as listeners and also as people who have contributed code that have helped me out in my projects. So if you want to get some additional help for your engineering projects, go to softwareengineeringdaily.com slash G2i. So... Not to put a knife in your back, but uh, <laughs> I did go to the website uh, yesterday and it was down. <laughs> no, that's the release. We're releasing like crazy. Like every, yeah, we haven't uh, we haven't implemented anything for uh, like whenever planned maintenance. Yeah, yeah, we just like deployed like crazy. We have like a Slack script that allows anyone in the company to deploy at any time. So we're just deploying like crazy. That's that's very funny. Yeah, and then whenever it deploys, it stays like five minutes down or something. Huge. <laughs> okay, so does that mean you're managing your own databases? Yeah. What database are you using? So we use MariaDB with, um, what's the name of the Galera cluster for clustering uh, in multiple locations. Okay. So, I mean, it's not perfect. Like, we've done this uh, three years ago. So three years ago was the best thing that we could find. 
I think today there's many other uh, better solutions probably. I wouldn't recommend this, I mean, for the technology or anything else. I think everything that we've done was not like, oh, we need to run like a geolocalized database because it's, you know, like so much fun to learn how to do that. You know, like I don't want to, of course, I don't want to be managing databases and things like that. But we just like everything that we decided was like, oh, you know, like it has to be close to the user because the user experience is going to be so much better. We're going to build a global product. It's, you know, like people in Brazil, like if it's like 180 milliseconds faster for them, it's a lot faster, right? It's like so much faster. And then we're going to have a lot of users anywhere in the world. So like we're just like reverse engineer. Okay, so what's the best architecture to fit in the, in that use case where like we want to build a global project that's fast for anybody in any location, right? That's how we thought like, okay, so... Putting database servers everywhere is very expensive because you need like better machines, right? And ideally you don't wanna like your MySQL, uh, MariaDB server to be running the same machines that you have like web traffic. So you need at least like one database machine plus one Java machine. And then you need like a really tiny like Node.js machine separately, right? So for every location. Okay, so let's have like five of these databases everywhere plus like 20 or 30 Node.js, like tiny machines running a lot of traffic. It's hilarious. Like we have this in one of the countries, we have uh, 9 million users every month that go there. And there's one machine, like one Node.js machine uh, that has one CPU and two gigabytes of RAM, like running all this traffic. It's crazy. Like, uh... <laughs> So by the way, and how are you setting up the servers in the other geos? So... Right now, we, we use the cheapest available service. Like sometimes it is AWS, like Amazon, sometimes it's Google. For example, in Brazil, we prefer Google. Or in Japan, we use AWS. Depending what's the cheapest in the location, we, we take it. It doesn't really matter for us like who's the machine from. Usually, like when it's a small instance, it's cheaper to use a cloud, right? So if it's like a tiny machine, like two gigabytes of RAM and plus one CPU, then we use cloud for that. But it's like a $10 per month machine, right? And then it's like, it's super funny. Then I get like all this traffic in this tiny machine, but the machine is only doing IO. It's not doing anything like on the disk. Or it's not doing anything. It's just like internet traffic passing through. That one is okay, like to use cloud. We just use the, the cheapest uh, available, right? So we have like five different cloud that we use. Also for the bare metals, like we have different, like in Europe, we, we really like the Hetzner, for example, in Europe is really good. Then in the US, there's a OVH is doing a really good job as well. So we just picked the, the one that has best pricing per performance. I think in the future, like if we continue this, we just need to hire somebody to, to do exactly what we are already doing for ourselves. So basically arbitraging, let's say uh, Amazon is, uh, gives you a better cost uh, per server than Google in Los Angeles, then uh, automatically switching the, the server to Google if Google is providing better price. I think that's kind of the future where there's going to be somebody in the middle like reverse bidding and then sending the traffic to whoever is cheaper. So basically, I'll build that company, right? Like I'll totally like uh, uh, do that in the future because that's what we are doing, like uh, kind of dynamically already. So if we just like allowed, provided that as a service to, to people, that would be pretty interesting. There's your AWS. Yeah, but that's the problem, right? They cannot do that themselves because it's going to be a race to the bottom for them, right? Whoever. No, no, I mean, I mean, there's your AWS. You already got the retail side. You just need your AWS business, and now you, you got you've completed the story. 
<laughs> yeah, we're proxy man. for the retailers. We're like a proxy for retailers, and then from uh, yeah from the service, <laughs> any cart. <laughs> so it must be crazy scaling up in this time when online shopping is just going bananas. What's that been like? Are you sleeping? Yeah. So it, it's for me. It's not about again like having those bare metals really give me peace of mind because I know there's no. There's no traffic that we cannot like uh, handle right now because you know like if you have like a bunch of like super powerful machines is really impossible to get all the traffic. But I, I do. We're losing like sleep right now. Like customer service with you know just like all these retailers, they're having like scaling problems. Maybe they use the cloud. I don't know. Yeah, the, the scaling problem is definitely not like engineering wise is not a problem. It's definitely a problem of like customer service. Like, how do you handle, like, uh, all these users who, who have, like, um, bad user experience, they got a bad substitution, or they order their groceries, and they order, like, 50 items, and only, like, a banana show up in your door. Like, literally, there was a person who carried a bag with only a banana and delivered to your house. So, like, imagine the frustration of the users is, like, what keeps me at night these days. And, like, we're trying so hard to solve it. It's very difficult. Definitely, that's our biggest problem right now, uh, scaling that up. But at least, like, I mean, we're this tiny startups. We're this tiny startup learning all this problem that's, like, such a huge problem, right? It's a nation, national problem. And then we're learning very fast, applying a lot of uh, technology to solve the problem. And I think we're going to come up with something very, very unique very soon. I mean, we launched two weeks ago, so... So the shoppers... Those are provided by Safeway or HEB or whatever, or, or do you have to get your own shoppers? Yes, they have their own shoppers. All the major retailers have their own pick and packing and um, delivery systems. I think that's the idea. Like we focus our the entirety of our business was like let's figure out a way to to solve the the demand. So we're like, okay, yeah, let's do like the best user experience for recipes. So like people are more interested in buying online. Because the supply side was already there, right? Like if we, we, we don't need to hire 300,000 people to drive to the store, pick something from the shelf that was just put in the shelf, right? Like this, <laughs> that makes no sense. What's happening right now, right, in the, in, the, in the industry. So we are a little frustrated by that. But I mean, it is what it is. I think people are trying the, their best. But definitely what you're saying is correct. So because Amazon has their own fulfillment and delivery, Safeway has their own, Walmart has their own. I think more and more retailers, at least the big ones, will continue having that. So because uh, Zach from Cloudflare introduced us, I was just wondering, are you doing anything interesting at the edge? Are you have any edge workers or edge storage stuff that, that might be interesting? Yeah, so we, you know, all this uh, thing that, that I told you about, like we have like 30 different, lo- 24 or 30 uh, different, lo- no, I think it's 30. We have like 30 different locations across the world that do like our web app. So, you know, our web app is just, I could run on my computer, like a little Node.js thing, and my computer will start processing production traffic if, if we just uh, open an Argo tunnel, right? Let's say we, you open an Argo tunnel, the machine put, puts itself in the cluster and starts already starts processing traffic from San Francisco, right? I think that's a very, we implemented this like three years ago. So like there was no like uh, edge workers on Cloudflare, for example. But it's very similar. The difference is like we, we have complete control 
So like we put a varnish instance, we have a, so we have like reverse proxying those instances, we have Node.js, we have all these things running on the machine, so we have like full control. But now that Cloudflare has the edge workers, we might, because it, you know, we have a isomorphic web app, so we, we might just get the bundle that we sent to the browser, and then we, we're gonna try to adapt that bundle to the workers. And then if we could run our code on a Cloudflare workers, it would be even faster, right? We're gonna earn like, get some uh, 10 milliseconds out of the equation there. That would be so cool. <laughs> hey, really a performance nut. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I tried to say it's a user uh, <laughs> experience, but uh, but it's uh, it's it's difficult to. It's kind of like an obsession, right? Like there's nothing like after some point, there's nothing else you can do for your users that's not not like uh, just destroying those the latency, right? So at some point, like the user experience is so streamlined that the only thing you can do to differentiate your business is like is latency. I think like and I think using latency as a part of the user experience and as a feature of the service. It's, it's been in the culture of the company since we started. And I think that's a big differenti differentiation because once you start getting the organic traffic like from Google or anybody else, like it's basically very hard for your competitors to copy you, right? Because like I said, like who is gonna like migrate their, their database to a geolocalized database once the, their, their service is up for 10 years, right? There's no way, like <laughs> there's, there's no way. If you don't do it from day one, it's, it's gonna be really, really difficult. So I think uh, you can put a, a million CDN in front or service is always gonna be faster, right? Then let's say you start a, a recipe site tomorrow or like any cards competitor or something like, if you don't do the geolocalized, then our service is always going to be faster, right? The faster is Napier. Because then like, even if it's like you put your servers in Amazon, like East Coast or something like that, it's going to be faster for East Coast, but we're going to be so much faster in West Coast, right? Because we can put it very close to the users. And I think that's kind of the mentality there, uh, performance net. <laughs> okay, last question. What's the hardest engineering problem you're working on right now? What's really giving you a lot of trouble? So I'll show you the G GPU server. So we want to be the best search engine in the world for products. Let's say you search, if you go right now on the site, try to search uh, pizza. If you search pizza, we give you frozen pizza. Then we'll give all the meals that you can do with pizza. Then we'll give, give you flour. We'll give you uh, tomato sauce. We'll give you uh, cheese. And then we give other stuff, right? So imagine like that user experience, like you, you have an intent, which is pizza but we we'll give you like like the best search engine possible, right? So we, we, we just started working on this. Like we were so busy to just like launch the service that then now that we launch, it, to me it's just like, you know, when you have the most competitive sport in the world might be like Formula One or like you need a car, right? Like to just start the competition, you need at least a car. But then like after you start competing, you start like tuning your car. And I think search engine is like where we're gonna be the best in the world. So like, you know, like the only data that we have for every product is just the title of the product on Amazon or on Safeway or all those retailers. We don't have any other data. And then, you know, like, so what we start doing now, we get all these products, we process their photos, we extract the, the labels from the, the text in the photos. So we're able to do like some uh, GPU processing to, to extract the, the, the texts. So let's say you search now uh, on any cart, you're gonna search like frozen, I don't know, something, it's frozen tacos. We detected that frozen was in the label of the box of the product. 
right? And then we start indexing our search and doing, just making a like really good search. I think that's the most fun. I wouldn't say like challenging is the, the most fun. I'm having so much fun with these kind of things. <laughs> it's so much fun. Just like installing these GPU servers to, so we can do this at scale and these things is really fun for me. But I do believe as a company mission, like if we if we're the best place for search of products, if you have an intent to come to us, if you need to buy groceries of any kind, I think that's a very good place to be. And being very innovative in like, okay, we can't extract more data than we have already in the title. Let's pick from the photo. Let's do, um, we do a lot of uh, work with the photos, right? Because buying groceries online is pretty frustrating user experience, right? Because when you go to the store, it's so inspiring visually. You're like in this place, you see the, an avocado is beautiful. Like you touch it, it's so, so good. But when you go online, there's like this white background photo and it's ridiculous, right? There's no sense. We've done a lot of uh, code to like, we remove all the background. We, we're trying to put on a black background or like changing the background, do all these things. So to make, yeah, <laughs> such a simple thing, right? If you compound on the user experience, like not only as, so there's all these things that we're doing to process the images, to make like better. You know, like I think the culture of the company is always that, right? Like, okay, okay there's a problem, is the images. Let's go very deep, like, let's extract all the problems. Like, what can we do? Should I, like, do I have to put all these GPU servers in my, my garage? Yes, yeah, sure, let's do it. Like, we don't care. Like, it's one more thing we need to do. And then I think going very deep technically is like, I think where we can, we can really improve the user experience on groceries online. I think that's our goal. Okay, Rafael, thanks for coming on the show. It's been great talking. Thank you so much. Have a good day. Today's show is sponsored by Datadog, a monitoring and analytics platform that integrates with more than 250 technologies, including AWS, Kubernetes, and Lambda. Datadog unites metrics, traces, and logs in one platform so that you can get full visibility into your infrastructure and your applications. Check out new features like trace search and analytics for rapid insights into high cardinality data. And Watchdog, an auto detection engine that alerts you to performance anomalies across your applications. Datadog makes it easy for teams to monitor every layer of their stack in one place. But don't take our word for it. You can start a free trial today, and Datadog will send you a t-shirt for free at softwareengineeringdaily.com slash Datadog. To get that t-shirt and your free Datadog trial, go to softwareengineeringdaily.com slash Datadog. <laughs>